Happy New Year and welcome to Trope on a Rope, the show where we invade the foreign lands of Hollywood, pull it apart and exploit its soils for our own gratification before pulling out having achieved nothing. <laughs> Over the next few weeks, we, a show that Google describes as a comedy podcast, will delve into the positively comedy scarce and downright murky waters of the Vietnam War where young men were plucked from the streets and were flown as far away from home as it is possible to get before you start coming back to risk life and limb for vague and nebulous reasons. My name's Jeff, and my trusty lieutenant, currently bleeding out after taking a claymore to the dick, is Mr. Colin Gerrard. You're right, mate. Oh, good, thanks, sir. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> right, I've, this is one sentence long, this. Full Metal Jacket kind of tells the story of Matthew Modine's private joker the narrator who is not the main character for the first half of the film and just kind of there for the second half yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i was about to say this movie when i was watching it i used to think it was two movies that had been like yeah. mer merged together and now i think it's three three okay because it, it starts off it starts off with the boot camp hilarious brilliant yeah and then it changes into uh just like a what it's like to live in Vietnam during a war on your day off and like trying to get yeah. hookers and stuff and still jokes and it's about uh, and it, um, a reporter who's going to... Yeah. And then it turns into an actual fight at the end. Like, uh, now, oh, it's about f killing fucking young girls that are Vietnamese and it just gets really fucking dark right at the end. It's three movies. I've seen this movie multiple times, but only the first part? Yeah, I think I've, I've actually spoken to people since we mentioned we were going to do this one. And uh, yeah, everyone goes, yeah, I, I only ever remember the, the beginning bit and when they first get yeah. to Vietnam. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I think I've only watched the first half of the movie about <laughs> 20 times. Yeah, I've I've watched the first, I've watched the boot camp part of this film loads of times with the with the vague memory that the second part isn't as good. But watching it all the way through, it is good. But yeah, both parts are great. I think it's because it's it self-contains the first part. Which is quite, which is quite a good depiction of what boot camps like, right? Because they they do like isolate and break them down. It's, mm. it, so like it's almost like a little boot camp for the movie. And it's the it's the it's the drill drill instructor. I think that everyone kind of remembers from this the um the gunner, gunnery sergeant Hartman. Is he is an actual drill sergeant in real life? Yeah, I will get I will get to. Do you know the story of him and in this film? Well, he, he was he he was brought on to like a teach the actor how to be a drill sergeant. Yeah, so I, I do I do have the full the full story of that, but we'll right. get to that get to that in a minute. I've not I've written my notes for this are are vague because it's mostly the making of this film is fucking fascinating. Really? Um, I've I've watched more documentaries about the making of this film, <laughs> like the Vietnam half. I haven't actually written anything about the Vietnam half. I've just realised. What are your feelings about Vietnam War films in general? Well, I mean. Uh... Vietnam war film. Vietnam wasn't the best of wars for America. Let's be honest. In in every respect, like a yeah. lying to their own citizens, hoping that eventually they'll win the war. So they're like giving false reports, going, "We're doing real good and stuff." On us, lots of not dying. And mm. yeah, they, they made them. They shouldn't have been in Vietnam in the first place. And look, the war, all of the movies kind of reflect that in some way. There's always an aspect of we should, why the fuck are we even here? Yeah. And they're always very dark. It's always some shit going on. Because um, like yes. that's that's a big that's a big theme in this in this in this movie. Well, in the middle yeah. of this movie is like a 
the bullshit that of the, yeah. the reporting from it. And the hypocr- um, hypocrisy. You're right. This thing about the Vietnam War is that uh, compared to like other war films, like uh, World War Two films or War on Terror films, it has a, a much like bleaker outlook on things than those than those films do. Even 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 the characters themselves, like you watch uh, mm. any any uh, World War Two movie, and the characters are always mm. heroes, and, or there maybe what there's maybe one dickhead or whatever. In these yeah. in the Vietnam movies, generally. Most of the characters are fucking assholes. Yeah, they just want to. They just want to kill things, or they're just really meet like really harsh to their own teammates, or they're fuck ups. Or and like even the the main character, it seems to be like oh, even through the narration, they're like this is this is this whole film is basically an explanation of why I have PTSD and bad dreams now. Yeah, yeah, that's what Matthew Modine like a uh, uh, Joker at the end. He's like he gives that um, his narration is like I'm in. <sighs> I I'm alive, but I am changed, and I think um, Michael J. Fox says something similar in Prisoners, um, Casualties of War. This changes them; they go through some dark shit, um, yeah. and there's there's no lights, there's no light. Um, to quote Loki, no glorious purpose in this war whatsoever. They just they're going through it because they were told to go there. Yeah, there's. Um, I think the only slightly positive vietnam movie i can think of is is uh it's not patch adams it's a uh, big uh, good morning vietnam but even that the end of that even that's fucked up at the end but like that's yeah. the only one i can think of that has like a there's at least one person who's trying to be positive and do do, do yeah. the right thing and be a good guy even even joke even joker in this movie like uh, he, he he's the most personable the most likable character in it but he's not a, he's not a particularly good person I think you just like him because he's funny, but then he's also a bit of a cunt. <laughs> he's a bit of a cunt. He's very self-righteous. Yeah. And very hypocrite and very hypocritical the whole he he, he constantly berates people for, for the way they they think about and act during the war. He does the exact same thing himself the entire time. Yeah. He has that he's he keeps doing he thinks he's smarter than everyone because he is like, Oh, I've got the peace symbol and he's got the thing on his helmet, like born to kill. It's like I think I was trying to say something about the duality of man, sir. But then he he's just there criticizing the war in, in the press room, but then he's like always, Yeah, I just wanna I wanna get in the shit see what there the kills like. Right? Yeah, I just wanna just wanna just wanna see what it's like. And then when he does get get his wish. Yeah, he he seems surprised about how dark it went. Yeah, and like yeah, because the whole time he, he comes across as like a very confident. Yeah. At the end, at the end, when he's he's confronted with that sniper, the first thing he does is like fumble his gun and like drop it on the floor. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's just like he's just basically he's all mouth. Yeah. He doesn't. He, I think I think that's what the movie's trying to get across as well. None of those the soldiers in Vietnam knew why they were there, knew what the fuck they were doing. Didn't want none of them wanted to be there, apart yeah. from the the odd few that just wanted to kill everything. About the about the fucking up thing. I mean, like they go through the boot boot, boot camp. camp thing at the beginning, and it's painted that um, pile is is the fuck up. But then when you get to the battle, it's like Joker, like he fumbles the gun, and then like he has to he takes a fucking long minute to to execute that girl when like Animal Mother would have done it in like a couple of seconds. I don't think he would have. I think animal. I, I think when it, I think animal love um, is animal lover. Uh, animal. Animal mother. I did write it down. 
Animal Mother, I'm going to say. Animal Mother, even though... I think Animal Mother was probably, probably although he was a psycho, obviously a racist prick, I think he would have, he didn't want to kill the girl either. Otherwise, he would have just killed the girl. None of them, that's why at the end, when they're all standing there, none of them want to kill the girl, because it's a girl, and like, she's like suffering and putting her out of misery. And when, when he actually mm. shoots them, they had that one line at the end where uh, they go, wow. You're a real man. That's that's hard as hard as whatever they say. That's hardcore, man. That's hardcore, man. Like, yeah. no, is it? We're in a fucking <laughs> war. <laughs> she was suffering, and I put her out of her misery. What? How is that hardcore? Because you two didn't have the balls to do it yourselves. None I, I, but I, I think that Animal Mother would have done it. I just think he wanted to. He wanted to make Joker do it. Yeah, there's there's an aspect of that as well. But I, I also, I think that's what he wanted. To, that's what his character wanted to portray mm. but i think ultimately he didn't want to shoot a defenseless girl on the floor either because they also showed the only people other people that they show from the um from boot camp uh, boot camp thank you fuck me i'll write that down boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that they show from the boot camp section is joker and cowboy, cowboy. Who are both like yeah, the like piles fucking up, blah 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 blah, and they're the they're the competent ones. But then it gets into the battle. Cowboy like fucking falls apart um, when he gets when he gets command. Yeah, like the, the, the yeah. like I said, the most competent soldier of all of them was Animal Mother. Yeah, he's the one who's like, like for fuck's sake, we just go over here, shelter of the buildings, we can hide. There's only one fucking sniper, and there's like twenty five of us. I think we can take her out. Mm. Um, shall we talk about the boot camp bit? Um, yes. Oh sorry. no, actually, before we get to the boot camp, before we get to the boot camp thing, I was thinking about the differences between the the uh, Vietnam War films and like other um, other films, like World War Two films. Yeah, World War Two films, like they've got. There's always like, like you said, that we follow the hero, and there's always like this, like we are here for like a, a purpose. We are the good guys. We are fighting tyranny and oppression, and all that kind of, all that kind of shit. Like the war itself, war is horrible, but we're doing a good thing. Yeah, we're on the good side. Uh, Gulf Gulf War films, I think Gulf War films are t generally less horrifying because it's less like in the muck. It's all like drones and sniper sniper shit. What's the Gulf War in a like a Saudi Arabia and stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah uh, okay. Iraq, yeah. yeah. So, well, films like Jarhead and and um, Hurt Locker and stuff like that, they they still they they still focus a lot on the the, the how the the soldiers are very like fucking psychos and want to kill things. But there's no, you don't see so much of the actual killing and stuff. Yeah, like, you get the songs like the, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Like they all want to get mixed up, but you don't see so much action. I think I think there's a, there's a difference in like where also where these soldiers come from for each of the wars because like in World War Two there was a draft but it was a general draft it was all men mm. of fighting age and like because there was this like general there's there was this again quoting Loki this glorious purpose um, like people were committing suicide if they couldn't if they were deemed medically unfit to fight yeah so. There was this like impetus of yeah no we want to be there like we are on the good side we are like fighting for freedom and shit like that. Whereas you'll see the guy like for example in in this movie, uh, there's they they mentioned the guy who ah oh, man he he went to he got a psychotic break and he was about to go home and then he died like he went to there he was yeah. masturbating too much 
So he masturbated in front of the uh, the officer. Instant green light, you can go home. But they yeah. they don't they don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. So like Gulf War films, like modern war films, because mo- they don't have the draft anymore. So in films like Jarhead and and Hurt Locker and Black Hawk Down, they're professional soldiers who signed up for it on purpose. Who want to be there? Vietnam War was a was a lottery draft. Was it a lottery draft? It was lottery. It was based on your birthday. Jesus. That's a so they did have professional... Obviously, they also had professional soldiers. But a lot, of, a lot of them, if you were drafted, if they pulled your... If they pulled your birthday out of a fucking lottery machine, then you had to go. And there's... But yeah, you also had the uh, dissenters, right? The ones... That, what's that what, That sprays? Compassionate dissent or something? Uh, conscientious objector. Conscientious, conscientious objectors. Were they... Did you have that in Vietnam? I'm not sure. Because you had the hippies. That's when the hippie revolution. I think conscientious subjector, it, I think you might have got a prison term for conscientious objecting. But I think at the time, I think it was just easier to go to Canada. Run away. Yeah, the, the Vietnam War, because like because it was like a draft and because the the reasons for it were a bit confused. Nobody, nobody knew what the reasons were. Yeah. And and also because they ultimately lost the war. Yeah, that's the movies being made definitely reflect that the negative opinion of that war. Then, and also it was like the first war that was like properly televised as well. And um, according to the Americans, the first war they ever lost, right? Yeah, and there's um, like it was had very negative. It was viewed very negatively, um, at home, and. So there's just this like general um vitriol. Yeah, it's just there's like a pointlessness and a despair for the characters in these kind of films that are just like the fuck are we doing here? Why are we here? What's the, any of this all about? Even some of the uh like the, the commissioned officers, like the the newspaper guy, he's like mm. I saw I saw the front line. I don't I'm not gonna go fucking back there. Just yeah. fucking do your job. But the only ones that were really like a gung ho were boot camp guy and the general that he talks to when he takes he gets angry because he's got a peace symbol on his um, vest. Shall shall we talk about the boot camp then? Yes, some of the best lines in any movies ever. We we didn't talk about the cast. Let's go through the cast. Um, so there's um, Matthew Modine. He's the main guy. Goma Pyle is Vincent D'Onofrio. I only recently found out that it's Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't know the name, but I'm. Is he Kingpin? Yeah. Fucking hell. I thought so. Yeah, I fucking love Vincent D'Onofrio. He's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Uh, there's uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman is Lee Emery, and then, then Cowboy is some guy called Arliss Hauer, who's like only in this film and, and not much else. Well, he died in it, so... Uh, we'll talk about the other people later, because in that half of the film. Um, so, the boot camp... Um, Exactly what I would expect a boot camp to be like. Yeah, I, w- I would say though, I don't. Do I think that's what a boot camp would be like before I watched this movie, or is did I watch this movie ago? And that's why I know what a boot camp is like. <laughs> and also, yeah, is, right? is that actually what a boot camp is like? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, you can find videos of this stuff on uh, YouTube where they fucking scream in people's faces like this for ages. They don't hit people. 
they don't hit people. Lee Lee Emery, who plays um, the the um, Sergeant Hartman, who is the drill instructor, he said that in the original the book that this is based on, called the Short Timers, um, in that book, which was written by an ex um, ex uh, a, a Vietnam vet, not an ex Vietnam vet, a Vietnam vet. <laughs> um, well, he looked. After I used to. He looked, after, he looked after animals <laughs> during the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> He was the pigeon wrangler. Yeah. Um, Communications, look it. In that book, the drill instructor like hits the recruits and shit like that. You're not allowed to do that. That's like disciplinary stuff. So he toned it down. Like he does, he punches Joker, and then he does get physical with Goma Pal. But um, apart from that, technically, Goma Pal chokes himself. Technically speaking, he does. Right, I want you to remember this. I have to write this note down because I know I didn't write it down later. Um, it starts with the haircut at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Hello Vietnam by Johnny Rice. There must be um, like Spotify playlists for different films, right? Yeah, there is. Especially Vietnam films that play all these like similar songs. Um, so they're all getting their haircut at the beginning. They kind of look like despondent and maybe a little bit pissed off because it was a reshoot. At the end, it was like a pickup. Like everyone oh, had got good. their hair, everyone had got their hair back. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> months after finish, months after finishing the film, they they got their hair back, and then was like, "Oh, can you come back in just so that we can do this haircut and see?" So I was like, get "Fucking shaved again." Uh, do you reckon they did that on purpose? Because that, that would be a really because like I'd be pissed off. <laughs> it's a very very very. It's a very natural response to having to have your hair shaved against you, Will. I mean, it's a Kubrick film, and he's known for being a bit of a dick about these things. I think that's genius if it, if it was a <laughs> fucking genius. You would definitely get the right reaction. So we got Lee Emery. He does this um, this big, big-ass speech, which is just fucking brilliant. Some great quotes in this. Which I can never quote correctly, unfortunately. I've got to watch it a few more times. What, do, you have a, do you have a favorite bit of his, though? I've got yeah, second golf ball through a hose pipe. Uh, oh, <laughs> I will cut off your head, shit down your neck. <laughs> yeah, my favorite bit. I did, I did write it down. Uh, I bet you're the kind of guy who'd fuck yes, 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 in yes. the ass and not I even have the gun. Common keys and decency to give a reach around. <laughs> yeah, genius. <laughs> um, that so, is common courtesy of a reach around. So on that on that note, shall we talk about Lee Ermy um, and how he got the role? Yeah, because that's actually the thing I'm most interested in. So Lee Ermy, as you mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, as uh, he's he was a real drill instructor. Um, he um, with the uh, Marine Corps, um, and he started to work in Hollywood as a technical advisor. He was in a film previous to this playing a drill instructor. He was in a film called The Boys in Company C. Um, never heard of it. Neither, neither, neither had I. But he plays a drill instructor, but it's like a slightly softer drill instructor, like a fatherly figure to the boys in Company C. But um, <laughs> the respect of the elder. So he, he joined, he joined um, Full Metal Jacket as a technical advisor. Full Metal Jacket, by the way, um, is a film of two halves. Um, and you know how films are not filmed in sequence, right? Yeah. Neither was Full Metal Jacket because they filmed the Vietnam half first. Oh, really? <laughs> All of that film, yeah. <laughs> they filmed they filmed the Vietnam half first in London. Oh. 
There are several locations, the Vietnam bit, there are several locations in, in and around London, specifically on the Isle of Dogs in the middle of London. Yeah. People who don't know London, listeners who don't know London very well, the Thames River, there's like a very S-shape bit in it. The Isle of Dogs is one of the, the curves in the S. And it used to be like this industrial, like it's quite, I think it's quite a posh place now. Like there's like, Mary Wharf and shit is there and stuff like that. And the Millennium Dome or the O2 Arena is just across the, the river. Shit, but back in, back in when this film was made, it was like heavy industrial area that was being knocked down. Ah, uh, that's why it was, huh? Kubrick went. Kubrick, who is American, but he was living in London and he lived in London long, uh, in the UK for a long time because um, he uh, mostly worked out of Pinewood. They filmed it there because they could blow shit up. And there's a massive Vietnamese population live there. So. Yeah, they're all they're all British act- actors and actresses. The girl at the end that they killed, she's a British actress. Really? I don't think it's on her IMDb page it says that she's a British actress, but it also doesn't say that she's been in anything else. So. Well, she, she's dead, for fuck's sake. She's dead. So, yeah, <laughs> I should, sorry, I should be... Why aren't you in other things? Oh, you're dead. <laughs> Um, <laughs> fucking joker shot you in the face so they did a lot of like research to like paint things in like um uh make things look um like vietnam but yeah it's pretty much all in london and they flew in palm trees from <laughs> that's um, cool. L- la that's why they all all the palm tree if you watch the film back all the palm trees look like withered and wilted and shit it's not because of war it's because it's fucking british weather and and they're dead <laughs> they've been flown from fucking miles away also, there's the whole war thing, but it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, yeah, it's all filmed in London. So anyway, they were filming, they filmed the Vietnam bit first, and Lee Emery was technical advisor, so he taught all of the actors how to act like soldiers and stuff like that. So yeah. he was on set all the time with them. Meanwhile, was there a was there an original person who was supposed to be the drill instructor? Yes, there was. So, this is the sad, sad story of a man called Tim Coseri. Okay. This, this poor fuck. So, Lee, Lee Ermey, who is the guy who plays the drill instructor in the film, uh, he was technical advisor in London, and he did ask Kubrick if he could audition for the role of the drill instructor. Oh, so he also wanted it. He wanted it. Oh. Kubrick said no. He said, "No, I've already, I've seen, I saw you in Boys in Company C. You're not quite as hard. It's not, it's not quite as um, tough as I would, I would like it to be. Plus, you know, you're already. You realize I was fucking acting, right? That's what the director told me to be like. <laughs> also, you're, te- you're currently technical advisor here, so you can't do it. And I've already hired someone else to do it. Tim Caseri, also an army vet, also an army drill instructor." Whilst they're filming in London, he's back in LA and he's told to learn his lines, right? Yeah. So he's learning his lines and then he's, he's, Kubrick is very, very picky. So he's learning his lines and sending tapes to Kubrick. Kubrick sends like notes back and this is back in the day. So it takes a couple of days for shit to go, go back and forth. Kubrick is sending very, 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 very minute um, adjustments adjustments like oh please say this word like that please say this word like this that's this the, 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 the like really being picky about every line delivery and he, this guy tim kiss here is like oh fuck it okay okay 
and he's learning more pay and he gets more pages given to him and rewrites and stuff like that he's told he can't uh, he can't improvise he's got to say the words on the page but the words keep changing learn new things and learn the the exact way that Kubrick wants you to say these words that will probably change later anyway can I just ask when Kubrick was uh, telling, giving him these instructions how, how was he giving them was this like a voice message or was it a, a letter possibly I think it was through like production assistance okay so he's also getting second hand is he also getting second hand information so he's not talking directly to Kubrick. He's Kubrick is giving um, directions to a production assistant in London, who is then phoning LA. So third production assistant, who then who then tells Caseri. So Tim Caseri, he's, he's he's in LA running lines and shit, doing tapes. They get sent to Kubrick. Kubrick sends a load of notes, and he's just rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing nonstop for months. Right? Um, he's given minute directions and told not to ad lib. Uh, meanwhile, Lee Ermey's in London with Kubrick, and they're getting pally. He's working with the working with the cast and all that kind of stuff. He's uh, still asking if he can audition, and still being told no. We've got a dude already. When the Vietnam half, when they finish the Vietnam half, there's a little pause in production whilst they reset to to do the boot camp stuff. The boot camp stuff, most of it, also filmed in England, and. <laughs> It's a pause. There's a pause because they have to fill out the rest of the regiment. Oh, okay. They've got the main. They've got the main people. They've got Vincent D'Onofrio, Matthew Modine, that guy who plays um, Snowball Cowboy, Snowball. They've got Snowball people like that. Uh, but they have to fill out the the other people as well. So they're doing audition tapes. Tim Caseri is there. He comes in to do his half of auditions. So these people are just. Auditioning the part of be shouted at by Tim Caseri. Yeah. So Tim Caseri is doing these audition tapes, but they're not f his audition. They're for other people. Yeah. So he doesn't want to spend all day screaming for someone else's audition tape. Again and again and again and again and again. And again. again. Same thing again. So because it's someone else's audition tape, he phones it in. He goes in about half speed. Because yeah. he's not the one under scrutiny under this. It's the other person. And then at some point, he just gets bored and he, and he fucks off. Calls it a day. He's, it takes an early lunch. So who steps in but Lee Ermey? He fucking nails it. Fuck it. He goes in 110%, screaming in their face and ad-libbing all kinds of shit. Just saying whatever the fuck he wants. He hasn't been given the no ad-libbing restrictions, so fair play to you. Yeah, because he knows these aren't his audition tapes, but he knows Kubrick's going to see them. Yeah, and he's going to go, oh, why should I write that? So he managed to sneak his audition in on other people's tapes. Good man. Kubrick does see it, and then he, he makes the choice and goes, ah, fuck. Um, all right, okay, uh, I might have to switch to Ermi. So he calls Kasseri and says, look, um... He's been working on this for months and getting all these fucking phone calls from like production assistants. He finally gets a phone call that says, "Ah, oh, we're going with a different dude." Shit. Does he get paid still? He got right, so he got full pay, and he got a smaller part as a consolation prize. Was he the? Was he the writer? Oh, uh, so he, he's in he's in the movie, right? I'm going to try and guess it. Is he the? Is he the general? That they he that takes piss out the, the the 
Peace No, he's not that. <laughs> Any other guesses? I'll give you three guesses. You've had one already. My my first guess was going to be the uh, the writer the the in the writing room. Oh, the the the, the, the commanding the, officer, the, of the... the boss. Yeah, no. Okay, so I've got one left. Not the general. It's a small part, only in one scene. Oh, I'm not going to get it. He's the door gunner in the helicopter. The one that's just shooting people. Oh, that's him? That's him. (laughs) Get some. Get some. That guy. Yes. I'm well done for remembering what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Get some. Get some. So he was pissed. To be fair, though, he did a fucking good job of that that little tiny role, though. So he he took he took his full pay. He got the part. He did the door gunner thing, and he also got a in the credits. He gets a solo name card. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, he's only in that. He's only as the door gunner, and he does say get some. So ah uh, so oh, fuck. I would be so pissed off. Right, it gets worse for him. Oh shit! No. Jumping over to Ermy. Ermi's doing 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 the uh, doing the part now. Ermi writes two hundred and fifty pages worth of rants from his uh, uh, drill sergeant days. He gives them to Kubrick. Kubrick puts a lot of them into the script, and then he ad libs on top of it as well. Kubrick had to say "cut" halfway through one of his rants to ask what a reach around was. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking. That's brilliant. I just, I just got the middle image of him going through his line. He's going cut. Yeah. What's the reach around? The fuck's he interrupting for that? What the fuck? So yeah, Ermy, he he improvised a lot of lines. Um, uh, it's not all improvised. A lot of it was scripted, but it was based on notes that of of his two hundred and fifty pages of rants. There was a point in the production of the of the boot camp scene where Lee Ermy uh, was in a car crash. Um, he, he he got badly injured. I think he broke some ribs and stuff. Um, and he was uh, he couldn't return to do the filming. Oh, shit. He would have been out of action for for months. Um, so Colseri got the call. Can you come back? And then he gets he gets ready, gets packed. And he's waiting at the door for the driver to come. And then he gets a phone call saying, no, don't bother. It's all right. Why? The insurance company that was covering the film agreed to pay for the production to pause and wait for Ermi to get better. Oh, my God. This guy must feel so undervalued. (laughs) (laughs) Do I not even Um, get a chance? Just one chance to show you that I can do it? Just once. Production stopped for four months. So that Ermi could get back, get better, and come that's back. going to be a fuckload of money. Yeah. So they're willing to pay. They're willing to pay four months worth of production just to yeah. not have me. <laughs> <laughs> but Colseri, this is the one that got away. There's, there's interviews with him where he gets like really emotional about it. We're like going back to it. He does have a one man stage show. Where he where he comes on stage uh, dressed as a drill instructor, does drill instructor things, and then tells sad stories of times past and opportunities missed. Do you want to guess the name of his stage show? Uh, no. You said it earlier. Did I get some? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
I bet he really, really wishes he hadn't phoned it in that one day. Yeah, right. Um back in hindsight's 2020. Does he like does he think that he would have done a better job or he thinks that that guy did would did a better job and so it was fair enough or I don't think yeah, I think he's got no ill will against Liermi, but I yeah, he's he's very, very bitter about the entire incident. Yeah, understandably. Yeah. But I mean at the same time, Liermi was fucking amazing. So he knocks it out of the park. He is one of the most icon one of the most iconic non like a uh, main role characters ever. Indeed so, but yeah, shall we talk about Goma Par then? Fucking Unbelievably well acted. Unbelievably well acted. Yeah, it's he really puts it, he really puts across the, the toils of having to go through abuse daily and daily and just descend into madness and then just kill yourself. It, he did a yeah. fucking good job. Like fuck. Do you remember that scene when like a uh, uh, Ernie puts Joker in charge of him to teach him everything yeah. and. Yeah. The, the way he does that thing where right? like a, he's he, you can just see from his face expression he's so thankful that the, that joke is t- like trying to help him and it's yeah. i just felt so fucking sorry for him yeah when i was young and stupid i i remember th- thinking that the goma pile character in this oh it's the funny one let's laugh at him but like older me looking at it it's like god he's like the best thing in this and this this, yes. this gallery of this gallery of awesomeness, he's the best thing in it. But yeah, by far. And he only, he's only in the first one. How long is the? Is twenty minutes? Thirty minutes? Oh, oh no, it's ages. The first. It's like half the movie, I think. Oh, I obviously like it. If I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like time's passed when I watch that. I just enjoy it. Do you know? Uh, so it's Private Leonard Lawrence, Goma Pyle. They call him. Um, do you know who Goma Pyle is? Um, no. I thought that was his name. Uh, no, his name is Leonard and, Lawrence. But then, then but but then it's, then Joker kept calling in Leonard. I was like, well, his name is Goma. <laughs> so, so his name is Leonard Lawrence. They call him Goma Pyle as an insult. Uh, Goma Pyle is a character on the Andy Griffiths show yeah. in the 1960s. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so, it, which I'm not seeing it. Uh, for, the, for those unfamiliar, it's like a sketch variety show. Mm. Um, uh, so he was a character on that. Like the Trace Yolman show was another one like that, um, where The Simpsons started as a sketch on that show before spinning out to its own TV show. Goma Pyle was similar on the Andy Griffith show, where he was, he's like... It's a bit like Saturday Night Live back then, Yeah, ish, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but more variety. Yeah. More um... talents and different acts. I was going to say Noel Edmonds, but yeah, probably closer to SNL. Yeah, in Goma, uh, Goma Pile, he's like a um, a sweet, simple, um, but naive uh, country bumpkin who joins the Marine Corps. He was he always reminds me of Lenny from uh, of Mice and Men. Mm. Um, he's one of those characters that uh, he got his own show eventually. Um, like the Simpsons, it was spun out into his own thing. It got like five seasons or some shit in black and white and color. But he's he's like this simple character who, but he's like sweet and nice while his um, commanding officer shouts at him. But it's like the commanding officer is the one is the heel. He's the one who he's like the idiot. You know, like in Dad's Army, yeah, Captain Manner, Captain Mannering. He thinks he's like the sensible one, but actually he's. The biggest idiot of them all. He's the fool. 
the one that thinks he, he, the arrogant fool. So Gamer Pile's like a mixture of all the other characters from from, from Dad's army. But uh, yeah, so that that's that's who Gamer Pile is. Why is it an insult? Because because he's simple. He's simple and he's there to be be shouted at. Um, oh, so he's the part of everyone's joke. Matthew Modine did a did an interview with the Independent, I think. Joker. Um, yes, Joker. <laughs> I'll refer to him as Joker. <laughs> He did a he did an interview with the Independent where he was like he him and D'Onofrio are friends in real life mm-hmm. and were friends except for during this movie he fucking hated D'Onofrio during this why so D'Onofrio is a um, method actor yeah and okay. no I know why <laughs> and Modine isn't okay so as Goma Goma Paul was. During his descent into madness, D'Onofrio was getting weird in real life. Yeah. And on set and mumbling shit to himself. It kind of freaked everyone out. Put in the boat so it sliced nice essence for your beautiful Yes, exactly. <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> During uh, between takes, um, Joker was just like fucking around between takes, like with the crew and like catering stuff and shit like that. Like next to the catering van, just just being a normal person <laughs> and then D'Onofrio took offense at this because he wasn't being professional or something like that right. and then he was just like I fucking hate you now <laughs> it must be it must it must be difficult to for, for, on both sides for a method actor yeah. to work with a non-method actor yeah right what is called a blanket party what's that um it's the bit uh it's the um the the soap in the socks thing oh okay so yeah, that's called a blanket party, and it has its own Wikipedia page. Can I guess? He, uh, he was only supposed to hit once as well, but he decided to keep hitting him afterwards. But Modine says, um, <laughs> "Is it? Is that right?" He's not entirely sure if because <laughs> he does do it a couple times afterwards, and he thinks he does it like five times. He says, if I'm honest, I'm, I, I I can't be 100% sure that I wasn't like, this one's for the film and this one's for me. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> like I nailed it again. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are they friends again now? They're friends again now, yeah. It was just <laughs> during the... Mo- Modine got him the job. This is his own damn fault. It's not soap in, in in the socks. It's knotted towels that they actually hit him with. Still gonna fuck me. But up. it's still something. <laughs> still gonna hurt. Because if you watch that scene, it's not cut. It's ta- uh, blanket goes over. They hold him down, and then they all beat the shit. And out. about fifty and about fifty people beat the shit out of him with basically two snooker balls and a sock. Yeah, and so they do. They actually are hitting him, but it's with it's with knotted towels, which still fucking hurts. But they, um, and they but they also they they do actually have to because you can't be like oh, yeah. you have to actually fucking hit him. There's no way of faking it. They're still gonna whack yeah. him really hard, right? Uh, there's the there's a bit also where um where he's he's tying Leonard's tie. For, he's doing his uniform for him. And yeah. buttoning, buttoning him up. Slightly, slightly exa- exasperated voice while he's speaking to him. This is after... Um, the jelly donut? The, yes, after that, the drill sergeant starts punishing... Everyone the platoon. else. 
yeah, everyone for Gomer's fuck ups, and he's Joker's like doing up his uniform for him, and he's like, um, "Everybody hates me now." That's the scene. That, that's you the scene. Hate I, me too. That's the scene I was talking about when I felt really sorry for for Gomer Pyle, where he he, he he's he's smart. He got this like he's slightly dumb smile while he's doing up his buttons. And you can just see his great, how grateful he is, but you also yeah. can see how fucking sad he is. And you're like, oh. So Matthew uh, Joker says, because Gomer Pal says, you hate me too. And Joker's like, I don't hate you, Leonard. Yeah, Matthew Modine said, in that moment, he did fucking hate him. <laughs> That's probably why he acted act so well. <laughs> We've got we got new people in the second half of the film. Um, Tim Colseri is the tall gunner. It does a bang up job of it as well. Um, there's a bunch of people who I the, the names uh, I don't know. The, I recognise Eight Ball. Can I? Can I? Can I? Uh, um, the the mother lover. I'm just I'm remembering this from a week ago, and I'm probably definitely wrong. But is he the Punisher? No. Okay. I didn't think so. Animal Mother is Adam Baldwin, possibly the most famous person in this film after Vincent D'Onofrio and Matthew Modine. And he's somehow the least of the Baldwins, famously. Yeah, I I only realised recently that he's not part of the Baldwin family. Oh, shit. He's just called Baldwin. It's, it's just a coincidence. I thought for years that he was a Baldwin. I just realised He that. is a Baldwin. That is his name. But he's... <laughs> It's not one of the Baldwins. Yeah, He's I, not one of the Baldwins. I just discovered that right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've always liked him in stuff. Apparently, he's a bit of a dick in real life. But they all turn out to be dicks in real life. But um, but I've always liked him in stuff. Yeah. Um, he's in Firefly. He's Jane in Firefly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Animal Mother. Um, there's, I recognize Dorian Harewood. Ha- Eight ball, oh yeah, definitely. I've seen loads, loads of eight stuff. Yeah, um, and then there's Rafterman, who I don't know who that is. Kevin Major Howard, um, and then there's Crazy Earl, who is the other guy, the guy who's was it was it was it the uh... oh he, he has the dead body right? Yeah, he has the dead body. Yeah, yeah. Well, you never actually he never gets referred to as Crazy Earl, does he? Yeah, to my yeah, I had to look that up. I was like, "What's his name?" Also, I thought he lasted longer than he does because he gets um, how does killed he... very soon afterwards. He he, he Abel runs out into the and gets like um, killed, almost killed, and made a bait for everyone else. Does he yeah. die? Does he die before that or after that? So crazy, crazy Earl. He he dies because he assumes command. Yeah, he's the next one. Um, he assumes commands when the when the tanks are attacked. Hmm. Is he is he the one that he, dies? He, he dies when he, he he picks up a rabbit or something, right? Yes, he picks up a rabbit and dies. Yeah, why did he pick up the rabbit? Because there was a rabbit on the floor. Because it's crazy. Yeah, he's just oh, there's a rabbit in the face in the middle um, of a war. Oh, look, tight in the middle of a, <laughs> in the middle of a war, and then cowboy takes over after that. Um, yeah, the, the crazy old death was a bit random. Yeah, but I suppose that's that's the way it is in in. I know it's it is good depiction. 
depiction of of how like a war like any shit can happen. But my point being is that a why did they pick up the rabbit in the middle of a war? Mm. Like oh look a toy I want to play with the toy. And B why would the Vietnam Vietnamese soldiers hide a a bomb in a rabbit? So who's going to pick up yeah. a fucking rabbit? No one. It made no sense. Um, right. Is there any anything anything else to to mention about this film? Um... I mean, obviously the, they debated quite well the fact that both both the soldiers uh, didn't want to be there, and also all of the Vietnam Vietnamese people obviously didn't want them to be there. They, they yeah. mentioned they mentioned many times like I don't understand. We're we're saving them. We're helping them out. We're killing the other guys. And they keep treating us like shit. I forgot about the interviews interview section because um, every everyone gives that kind of response that you gave of all like mm, not entirely sure you know we're just doing what we're told blah 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 yeah the only one that gives like a positive like yeah I'm up for this yeah fuck this is fucking Rafter Man who's yeah. only just been there like a day and a half so he hasn't <laughs> had that soul crushingness yet. Yeah, he spent the entire movie, the entire time in his movie. He's like, "Oh well, man, I wish I could go to the front lines. Wish I could go to the front lines." That Joker tries to yeah. leave him behind. Oh, okay, I'll go, but, but leave Raptor Man here. Why does Joker love Raptor Man so much? I don't know. It's like he he doesn't want him to go into the war, right? He keeps trying to protect him from it. He's willing to go himself, mm. but and Raptor Man's really really up for it. He's got a hard on for going and killing people. Yeah, I don't know. They don't really go into. To be honest, they don't really go into the motivations of any of the characters in in this. It's just like events happen. They're, most people are passive in this. Like things just happen to them. Yeah, shit, shit happens, and then they react. Hey, there's a, there is one one more thing I'd like to talk about. And I'd like your your. We we talked about it earlier, the the mm. end of the movie with the. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's two more things actually. That nearly the end of the movie with the sniper, the, the girl that killed. It turns out, a it turns out the sniper is just uh, not even really a soldier. It's a it's a Vietnamese citizen who's got somehow got a gun. Unless I, mean, I don't know, maybe the Vietnamese. Uh, she she's 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 Viet Cong. She's Viet Cong. Okay. Yeah. But she's also like fourteen or something. Yeah, she's like really really young. She's female. Yeah. She's alone, and she's trying yeah. to snipe them, and then. Obviously, dying on the floor, begging for life. Why do you think that everyone? No, went... she's begging for death. Isn't she? Sorry, she's I, I'm sorry, I meant, shot, I meant yeah. begging, but kill me, kill me. Why do you think yeah. that? A. Why do you think that everyone didn't just kill her straight away? Or why does everyone want Joker to do it? Do you think that they would have done it themselves? Do you think they're all just like a fronting that they could in that kind of situation, but they just want some other person to do it for them? I think I I said earlier that I think Animal Mother would have done it, but he does say that he just wants to leave her where she is because Eight Ball, the way that she shot Eight Ball, the she didn't kill Eight Ball like Eight Ball bled out screaming in the middle of the thing. So I think my Animal Lover wants to just leave her like that. Well, that's what I was going to say earlier. Before mm. I I don't think he would have shot. Mm. I I don't think that. He, I think a number one. I think it could be quite hard to kill an unarmed fourteen-year-old just lying on the floor begging for death. But also, she's begging for death, and he's a sadistic motherfucker. He doesn't give a shit. He would want her to suffer more, and just he yeah. would have walked away. 
yeah, it's only it's only Joker who says that they should put her out of her misery, and he's, and then he says, "Well, if you want to do that, you do it." Yeah, he, he says like, "I'm the fucking commander, so I'm not trying to command you. I'm just saying." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think Animal Mother would have would have let her to, but he does say leave her for the rats. In your situation, in, in that situation, if you were Joker, what would you have done? Uh, yeah, I'd have shot her. I think I'd have shot her. And I would probably similar to Joker. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I saw somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it, but someone else made this observation that, but just before he shoots her, he angles his body slightly, slightly away, and his lapel slowly covers the um, peace symbol. Oh, really? Wow, that's quite before he shoots. I wonder if that's on purpose. Or that'd be the la- the last thing I wanted to talk about was the very very end of the movie when they're walking back and everybody is singing the Mickey Mouse theme tune. <laughs> yeah, why do you think they're singing the Mickey Mouse theme tune? Like in, in my, I, I, this is this is absolute bullshit probably, but I was thinking, yeah, a it's absurd. And it's just yeah. point out the absurdity of this entire war, and B. Yeah, I would lean towards and that. And B, what is like Mickey Mouse? You can use the when you say something is Mickey Mouse. What do you say? Like it's fucking bullshit. I think yeah. there. I think there was a little. Oh yeah, okay. I think there was the is that little comment on a war is fucking crazy and absurd, and also this entire situation is fucking bullshit. I would say yeah. I think that. Um... It also shows the camaraderie at the same time. I would say that it would show that it shows the triviality of it because things that the things that happen in this film, and specifically the thing with the with the the girl at the end, like oh that's fucking harrowing, man. That's it's because it's the subject of this film. That's all we get to see, and it's like a dark moment of this film, and it's like the turning point for Joker. But for everyone else, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love this. I love that scene with the at the end where he has to shoot mm. that girl because it points out exactly, exactly that. That yeah, for us as the viewers, the entire film, like there's comedy in it. There's people joking. It's having fun. Oh, yeah. someone's died. <laughs> there's a dead body here with a hat on, making a joke mm. about it. And it for it's kind of even for a war. It's kind of a little bit, always slightly. It's always serious, but slightly lighthearted. But for the for the viewer, when it gets to that girl at the end, suddenly you're invested. You're like, oh fuck. Yeah. And you're laser focused on the fact that yeah. shit, did I kill this girl in this situation? And it points out, like, okay, if I was in this war, Jesus, fucking war is hell. I think they did that really, really well. And then afterwards, just sweet, it's it's over. Something else. Because the, the for for them, it's gonna happen like fifty more times. And that's that's the point in the movie where you realize, fuck, is this what war is like? Yeah, you get put in these horrible situations where you have to make a decision, and then, meh, well, I'm used to it now, so let's see Mickey Mouse. Fuck, that's just it's it's horrible. Right? Is there anything else that we can add about Full Metal Jacket? Uh, rating. Rating. Oh, by the way, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, for this and IMDb Rotten Tomatoes ninety percent. So, so Jeff. What is the difference? <laughs> <laughs> IMDb is a bit lower, eight point three. What was that? Sorry, what was the first one? Rotten Tomatoes, ninety percent. Yeah, I think the very first time I watched this, I, I believe I did actually have a conversation where we were rating it, and 
I was like, oh, the first half I'd give like fucking 10 out of 10. And but the second half was, you know, it was a bit slower and boring. So I'd probably give that about a six. But now I've, uh, I've actually had a proper conversation about it and watched it like with a, a fully formed mind. And I've picked up a lot of things that I didn't notice before. I'd, I'd definitely go for, a, yeah, probably a close, very close to a nine, like 8.99, possibly even more. Eight 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 point nine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go with nine. I'll go with nine. I'm a, uh, no, I'm not. I'm gonna go eight. I'm gonna give it eight point five. Yeah. Right, eight point five. Final answer, locking that in? Yeah. All right, okay. I will go I will go an eight. Although having said that eighty five percent does seem low, but anyway, continue. <laughs> Uh, next next week we're going. Oh, we're going dark next time. Like Chase Edmonds. We're going dark like Chase Edmonds. Oh, excellent <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> we're going dark like Chase Edmonds. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going dark like Chase Edmonds with Casualties of War. Um, Colin, where can people find you if you wanted to be found? I believe it's. Colin Gerard, that's with two R's and a third R afterwards, dot nine two for Instagram. That's kind of Okay, thank you for spelling that in a complicated manner. Uh, you can find us on uh, on YouTube at The Badger's Apprentice, on TikTok at Badger's Apprentice, couldn't get the the, and on um, Twitter or whatever that's called now at, oh, self-censored myself then, um, at uh, TBA underscore tweets. That's the end of the show. Goodbye. Peace out.